morning. I'm called to read the scriptures today, called by Janet Havens. And as Jeff said, it does take a village, and I appreciate our pastors so much. Um, I could go on about that, but I will read today from Acts 9. Now in Joppa, there was a disciple whose name was Tabitha, which in Greek is Dorcas. She was devoted to good works and acts of charity. At that time, she became ill and died. When they washed her, they laid her in a room upstairs. Since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples who heard that Peter was there sent two men to him with the request, please come to us without delay. So Peter got up and went with them. And when he arrived, they took him to the room upstairs. All the windows, excuse me, all the widows stood beside him weeping and showing tunics and other clothing that Dorcas had made while she was with them. Peter put all of them outside and he knelt down and prayed. He turned to the body and said, Tabitha, get up. Then she opened her eyes and seeing Peter, she sat up. He gave her his hand and helped her up. Then calling the saints and widows, he showed her to be alive. This became known throughout Joppa and many believed in the Lord. Meanwhile, he stayed in Joppa for some time with a certain Simon, a tanner. The word of the Lord. Please pray with me. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Lord and giver of life, guide us in the way of life, resurrection life, that we might taste of it even now in our own lives and in the life of our community. Be with us now, we pray in your name. Amen. Good morning. It's so good to be here with you, to see all of you. Uh, and even if I can't see you online, it's so good to be able to spend time with you, uh, to share fellowship and hear from God's word. Um, I have my hanky out here, just because it's gonna happen. Uh, I, try, I tried to read through it last night to my wife, and I just, I think I cried like three times. All right. Now, as many of you know, um, we're in a series that we started just after Easter titled, The Church on Mission. And uh, we're traveling through the book of Acts. Um, and the book of Acts tells the story or some of the stories, at least, of the early Christian community as it grappled with the explosive event of the resurrection of Jesus. It's the second volume written by Luke, the purported companion of Paul. And one of the things that you notice as you read through this work is that all, all, all the stories that Luke tells gives you a sense that this is a church and a people who are in constant motion, going one place from one place to another. 
After the event of Pentecost, which begins uh, the book of Acts in chapter 2, where God pours out the Spirit on this small community in Jerusalem, Luke winds up tracing the ministries, in particular, of Peter and Paul. And you get some really towering stories, stories that have actually sort of seeped in to our culture and to cultures around the world. Stories like the last one, or the one that we heard, I should say, last week, that Jeff preached on, Paul's conversion, uh, on the road to Damascus. And uh, sometimes you'll hear, you know, I had a Damascus road experience, which basically means something happened so profound that I was turned or changed. My mind was shifted. My life was maybe turned upside down. Or next week, there's going to be a pretty remarkable story that you're going to hear about. It's the story of Cornelius, a Gentile who nevertheless winds up receiving the promise of God, the Holy Spirit, and embracing the Jesus way. An event that is truly momentous in the development of early Christianity because it means that the church is going to become an intercultural reality made up of Jews and of Gentiles. And then there is our story. Uh, Now, you, you might not know this, but oftentimes when the leadership team gets together and we kind of sit on and decide a sermon series with a theme and we pick out the different passages and we arrange them as to when they're going to be preached. Uh, We, the preachers, or the folks who are on the team, we don't always get to pick our passages. And sometimes they're just assigned to us. And that was certainly the case for me today. And I have to say that initially, I wasn't really sure what I was gonna do with this passage, right? What I mean, in a sense, is that this scene with Peter and Tabitha, it's just sort of wedged in a few verses in between Paul's Damascus Road experience, like a mountaintop experience, and then Cornelius, right? The opening up of the church to others, right? Beyond uh, Jews, beyond Israel, to include Gentiles. And even though there's a resurrection that happens in this story, on first glance at least, it doesn't seem to carry the same emotional register as these other stories do. But I have to say, here it comes, (laughs) that I have sat with this story over the last few weeks, and I have really found that it is, it, is, it is an important story, not just for understanding who the early Christians were, but it also offers to us a profound picture of what it means to be church in the world. A picture that I would suggest can be described as follows. The church is called to be a people who practice resurrection. Let me say that again. We are called to be a people who practice resurrection. Practice 
Resurrection, you say. <laughs> what on earth, and I think I have it underlined here on my, task, on, my, on my text here, what on earth could I possibly mean by saying this? Well, let me explain. Now, as I mentioned, our short little vignette occurs in between Paul's conversion and the episode with Cornelius. And geographically speaking, the place where the events that are depicted here in the city of Joppa takes place north of Jerusalem. In a town called Joppa, which is of course associated with another figure, and I'll get back to that in just a moment. Now there's another even shorter story just before this one. From verses 32 to 35, that story tells us about Peter's healing of a man named Aeneas in the city of Lydda. We don't really get many details about Aeneas, only that he was paralyzed and had been bedridden for eight years. And that his healing, like the the resurrection of Tabitha, leads many to turn to Jesus. And when we turn to our story, we are told that it takes place in the city of Jada, uh, excuse me, Joppa. Now this is a city that's associated with another figure in scripture, Jonah, the great prophet who was charged with preaching God's judgment and mercy to the Ninevites or the Gentiles. Luke tells us that there is a woman there in this city. She is described as a disciple of Jesus. And as an aside, this is the only time in all of the New Testament where we find the feminine form of the word disciple. A fact that is certainly a clue to us as to this woman's importance. Here is someone who follows after Jesus, a disciple. We are then given her name, but it comes to us in two different forms. One is in Aramaic and the other in Greek, Tabitha and Dorcas. Both names mean gazelle, a fitting name for a woman of great energy activity, and service, which, as we find out, is who Tabitha herself was. Now, in distinction from the story about Aeneas, we are told about Tabitha's character as a person and a disciple. We are told that, quote, she was devoted to good works and acts of charity or mercy. This woman, this disciple, showed her love to her neighbors with great alacrity, concentration, through attending to their needs. That Luke offers to us both a Greek and an Aramaic version of her name suggests that she was well known among both Jews and Greeks and that she might have even served both communities, and therefore that the widows that we hear about might have come from both communities. 
Now this extraordinary woman who loved so deeply and who was herself deeply loved has died. Again, we're given a very intimate and unique detail in that regard as we're told that her body was washed and then she was placed in an upper room away from the hustle and bustle of daily life in preparation for her burial. One does not have to leap very far to imagine that this is a community in shock and grief over the loss of this woman. And so when they hear that Peter is nearby in the city of Lydda, they send for him. Now what precisely do they hope to get from Peter? Certainly, comfort in this time of grief. And when Peter arrives, the widows come to Peter and they show him the garments and the other items that Tabitha had made for them, emblems of her love and devotion. And you can almost hear beneath their desire to show their deep affection for this woman, the plaintive cry, why? Why did someone like this die? And what will the loss of this beloved woman mean for our community? Peter does not directly address these unspoken questions. Instead, he puts everyone outside the room and he takes up a posture that he was quite familiar with, one that he'd witnessed from Jesus many times. He prays over the girl and then he speaks to her using the language of resurrection. Tabitha, arise. And as with the gospel accounts of Jesus, we're not given any sensational details. We're not told about power rushing in and lifting her up off the ground or anything like that. We're just told in simple language that not only does Tabitha recover, but Peter helps her to stand up. She's then returned to her community, a fact that itself results in many turning to Jesus. Now, those are the facts of the story, the facts of the case, so to speak. But when I say that this story offers to us a concrete description of what it means to be church, which is to be a people who practice resurrection, what is it that I mean? Am I saying that we should be like Peter and when the opportunity presents itself, we should call upon Jesus to raise people from the dead? Not exactly, though I don't want to rule that out. I would not want to remove that possibility from view, nor do I want to deny that we could focus today on Peter and what he does in his empowering of this woman to resume her ministry. 
Today, though, what I want to propose to you is that it was Tabitha who had been practicing resurrection long before Peter had ever arrived in Joppa. And that Peter's own act of raising Tabitha up was something of a seal of approval of the resurrection life already at work in her. Now, what do I mean by that? I want to ask a question, and it's a legit question. How many of you before today had heard of the story of Tabitha? Feel free to raise your hand. Man, you guys are great. I, I don't, I'm, it's possible that I had heard this story before, but I had forgotten it if I had, and I certainly did not understand the influence that this story has had in the history of the church. And I can tell you that a quick search of the internet, and I would not normally say this, but it cured my ignorance. Saint Tabitha, as she is called in the liturgical churches, has had a profound influence, both in the history of the church and even up to this very day. First and foremost, this little story is the inspiration behind the countless church groups which gather together to make clothing for those in need, whether in sewing groups or knitting groups or otherwise. Churches will often have spaces called Tabitha rooms, which house food and clothing pantries or fresh vegetable stalls or other items. For instance, when I was online curing my ignorance, I found a community in Winthrop, Maine, which had a Tabitha closet, which offered gently used clothing and toys. And I was immediately reminded of what we do here in our own community. We have a Matthews closet, a ministry that was started in partnership with one of our mission partners, Oasis for Youth, which provides clothing for teens in housing transition. And even though Tabitha's name is not evoked or used, the idea of providing clothing to the vulnerable is closely connected to the example of Tabitha. You can also find numerous Tabitha houses. For instance, there's a Tabitha house, Bluefields, located in Nicaragua. And looking on their their website, it says that they provide food, health care, and family support to some of the poorest people in an already impoverished country. Or Tabitha House in Atlanta, Georgia, which was launched out of Traveler's Rest Baptist Church. They have some 137 volunteers who work across the counties that comprise the larger metro Atlanta area in conjunction with local doctors and therapists, social service agencies, schools, and other communities of faith to combat sex trafficking and to provide support to the families, women, and girls affected by it. Now what is it that links all of these examples together? And how do they embody 
practicing resurrection. I think it has to do with the fact that Tabitha made clothing for the vulnerable. In our story, it is the widows whom Tabitha serves. Now, widows were, and frankly still are, an especially vulnerable group of people. Women had little to no rights in the ancient world and little hope of finding work outside the home. And when their husbands died or male caretakers, which is the situation that most found themselves uh, in, they could find themselves in very dire circumstances. As a group, they were constantly challenged with destitution or death, which is, of course, certainly why God shows a very special interest and concern for widows and their treatment in the Hebrew Bible, and why Jesus and the early Christians did the same. But what is it about making clothing that's so important? Why do the widows show Peter the clothing that Tabitha made for them? Well, it has to do with dignity. In the ancient world, clothing and being clothed by another person signified honor and belonging. It was a way of saying, I see you. You belong here with us. You belong with me. You have dignity and you have standing among us. To wear certain kinds of clothing marked a person as belonging to a given community or family. And since clothing was often made within the household, it was also a concrete act of care and love, indicating to the wearer that they had a people, that they belonged. For instance, in the parable of the prodigal son, Jesus tells us that one of the first things that the father who welcomes back his wayward son does is he places a cloak on him. By placing a cloak on his son, the father is not just covering him, he's restoring him as a son, as a member of the family. Conversely, to be stripped of your clothing wasn't just to be made nude, it was to be made naked. It meant being stripped of your dignity, being stripped of your identity. This is why among the many harrowing scenes of Jesus' passion, we read that they strip him of his clothing because crucifixion meant not only death, but a death in which your dignity and your identity as a human being was to be obliterated. Tabitha's act of making, making clothes for these widows then was not just about the utility of making sure that these poor women had clothing to keep them warm or covered. No, it was much, much more than that. 
It was an act of restoration. It was a way of saying to each and every one of them, I see you. You matter. You are loved by God. You belong. You are a valued member of this community, and I am interested in knowing you. It was a means by which Tabitha and her church community could embrace and welcome every person who lived among them. A means by which they could tear down the culturally and humanly made walls of division that we often construct to say who matters and who doesn't, who is welcome and who is not. But why is this practicing resurrection? Well, resurrection says and means many different things. It means God's triumph over death. It means God's affirmation of creation and of your body. It means human beings being set free from the dehumanizing powers of sin and death. It means a new world, a new hope, a new life. But among these and many other things, it also means to affirm the dignity and the value and the uniqueness of each person. To be clear, it is God who raises the dead. But we too can participate in God's resurrecting work in the here and now. We too, in our own very human way, can affirm the dignity and the value and the worth of each and every person that we are given the opportunity to serve and to love. We can say through our actions, our words and our endeavors that you matter. You are loved by God. You belong. Tabitha's fashioning of clothing for her community and especially for those who were so vulnerable was just such an affirmation. As I was thinking about this message this week among the many things that went through my head, I was reminded of when my firstborn son was born, Jonah. Now during the course of her pregnancy, my wife decided she was gonna start knitting. She wanted to make Jonah a sweater. And we looked for that sweater. I was gonna pull it out, because then I knew I would get like a great response, but I couldn't find it. It took her a while. She had to go back and adjust the knittings. She had to make sure that the pattern was right. And truthfully, Jonah probably only wore that sweater for about four or five months, if that. But as my wife poured herself into making this, she was giving something to her son. 
She was thinking about the soon appearing person that she had not yet met. She was seeing him even before he was born. She was saying, you matter. You are loved by God. You belong. So, ask yourself this question today. How can I practice resurrection? Who has God placed in my life to whom I can through my actions say, you matter. You are loved by God. You belong. God's invitation to us is to take up the life-giving practice of seeing and affirming others in their humanity. And my prayer is that in a world riven by constant violence and hatred, that we will have the courage to truly become such a people, a community that lives in God's resurrection power so that all are indeed welcome, seen, embraced, and loved. Amen. Let us pray. Living God who sees us, who loves us, and whose longing and will for us is that we will live with you and each other in fellowship, thank you. You have created us out of love, and you have created us for love. Grant to us, therefore, your spirit that we might be truly free to practice resurrection, living into the love that you have for all people and for the whole inhabited earth. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.